today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Isaiah chapters 24 through 27 are intended to be read as one section. Isaiah 24 to 27 has often been called by some Bible scholars as Isaiah's apocalypse, because in these chapters, uh, God gives Isaiah insight and a vision about things related to the end times. And much of what Isaiah writes about in these four chapters have to do with future events that even are beyond our present day. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Have you ever heard the old saying, a chapter a day keeps the devil away? While it's definitely good to be reading your Bible daily, there are some portions of Scripture that require a bit more commitment than just a few verses or a chapter here and there. As Pastor Gary will teach you in his message today, there are sections of Isaiah that are unfortunately interrupted by chapter breaks. In his study, you'll learn how Isaiah chapters 24 through 27 are one consistent message that are revelatory in nature. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, as he begins his message, Perfect Peace. Take your Bibles, please, and join me in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be chapter 26 today. I'm only going to actually read two verses from Isaiah 26. You can thank me later. But it doesn't mean you're getting out early, so don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, but I only have two verses to read. These are going to be the, the, the two verses for our text today out of Isaiah chapter 26. It's page 500 in those church Bibles, Isaiah 26. And here are the verses we're going to look at. Chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. It says this, You will keep in perfect peace... Him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. For those of you who like to take notes, you need to recognize and jot down that Isaiah chapters 24 through 27 are intended to be read as one section. Isaiah 24 to 27 has often been called by some Bible scholars as Isaiah's apocalypse. Because in these chapters, uh, God gives Isaiah insight and a vision about things related to the end times. And much of what Isaiah writes about in these four chapters have to do with future events that even are beyond our present day. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to look at a quick survey of chapters 24 through 27, and then we're going to drill down on the verses that I read at the beginning of our Bible study. But just so that we can understand the context in which he writes here and, and just an overview of these apocalyptic chapters, for those of you who like to take notes, here's the first thing. Chapter 24 is about the judgment 
of the earth. If you'll flip in your Bibles back to chapter 24, I'm just going to do a quick gallop through these chapters, so follow along if you could with me in your Bibles. But in chapter 24, first three verses, it says this, see the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. And so Isaiah here in the opening few verses tells us that the earth will be devastated, that the earth will be laid waste, and that the inhabitants will be scattered without regard for social class. Because that's why Isaiah talks about whether you're a priest or just people, whether you're a master, servant, mistress, or maid, that the the Lord is going to bring devastation upon the earth, and it doesn't have anything to do with whatever social status you happen to belong to. This is coming. And Isaiah looks way in the future. God gives him insight about what is going to happen when judgment comes to the earth. And he's looking at a day even beyond our own. But in chapter 24 alone, Isaiah uses the word earth 16 times. Talks about the judgment that is coming to the earth, the earth, the earth. And the book of Revelation bears this out as well. For you note takers, you can write in the margin of your Bibles, Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 to 11. Now, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read these verses that are a complement to what Isaiah is writing here in chapter 24. Here's what John sees in the revelation that God gives him in Revelation 8, verse 7. He says, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So try to imagine the devastation from cataclysmic natural disasters that will come at the hand of God upon the earth when vegetation is impacted in such a way that a third of the trees are destroyed and all green grass, all green grass. So now think about how this translates to livestock. How will this affect livestock that grazes on grass? Continuing in Revelation 8, verse 8, John says, The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. Now, John's writing in the first century, but what he's describing is probably what we would call an asteroid. And he says, A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So this great asteroid plunges into the ocean. It affects salt water. It affects ocean life and shipping commerce. And then John goes on to say, the third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. So now it impacts fresh water. He said, the name of the, of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Some say this is a nuclear disaster, Wormwood can translate Chernobyl. And we know the Chernobyl event that happened in the 80s. Eight metric tons of radioactive material was dispersed at the nuclear power meltdown in Chernobyl. 8,000 people died. 200,000 people were permanently physically diseased as a result of it. Listen, that that might be a, a foreshadowing, but that certainly is not a fulfillment because a third of the fresh water was not affected from that event. But it, it might give us a glimpse into something that is coming because 
It affects a third of the fresh water. It could also be referring, honestly, to a comet which impacts the earth and affects the fresh water. Comets contain ammonia and methane, which are toxic gases. And so who knows? But the point is that devastation is going to come upon the earth at some day in the future. It's part of God's judgment upon the earth. Don't look at this and think to yourself, what kind of a loving God would do this? I know a lot of skeptics will approach God in that way. God was such a loving God, why would he impact the earth and and devastate it in such a way? Let me ask you a question. When you learned some of the best lessons in your life, did it come through the good times or the bad times? It often comes through the bad times. And when God brings judgment upon the earth, it is his last wake-up call to a God-forsaking, Christ-rejecting world. Sometimes God will go to an extreme because people are so stubborn in their hearts and they've rejected him for so long that God will bring cataclysmic natural events and disasters upon the earth to wake people up because he doesn't want any to perish. So before he returns, there's going to be the unleashing of this devastation upon the earth. And this is what Isaiah sees. This is what John sees in Revelation. And by the way, forgive me in advance, because I get emails when I say stuff like this, but when you read your Bibles and you see how the world is going to be completely devastated, how the earth is going to be destroyed, and not just here, but in other places, in 2 Peter 3.10, it talks about how the earth is going to, you know, just completely disintegrate and burn, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But when you read your Bibles and you understand what is going to happen to the planet, this is why it just, it grates on me, the whole thing about, you know, save the planet, hug a tree, carbon footprint recycle. Why? It's all going to be destroyed. Now listen, if you want to hug a tree, fine, hug a tree. I love trees, but don't hold it too tightly because it's going to burn. And you don't want to burn with it, baby. All right. So just hold it loosely. Okay. Now I'm not advocating mistreating the planet. Whenever I talk like this, people are like, it's God's green earth. You should take care of it and be good. I understand. Okay. Let's treat God's green earth with respect. But all I'm saying is it's going to burn one day. Don't idolize it. And that's the problem in our culture today. It's trending towards idolizing the planet. And that's what happens when you take God out of the equation. When you take God out of the equation, then now suddenly the planet is the biggest thing to you you see. And it's why Romans 1 speaks about this. Romans 1.25 says there's going to come a day, and I think we're living in it, when people, instead of worshiping the Creator, will worship created things. And we will idolize created things rather than the Creator. We're more concerned about the whale and the spotted owl than we are about unborn babies. We've, we've inverted God's whole system of what is right. Isaiah says, listen, one day God's judgment is going to come upon the earth, and there will be devastation, and it will be laid waste. Isaiah sees it. And he also points out in the next chapter, chapter 25, Isaiah writes about the fulfillment of the kingdom. If you'll go to chapter 25 with me in your Bibles, and let me just read verses 6 through 9. In verse 6, he says, on this mountain, he's talking about Jerusalem, The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Amen to that. And the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth, and the Lord has spoken. And in that day they will say, Surely this is our God. 
We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So Isaiah, now this is again, not in chronological order, but Isaiah sees the fulfillment of the kingdom. He sees a day when the Lord will rule from the mountain, meaning Jerusalem, the holy mount of God. And he prophesies about how in that day, God will take away the shame of the people and they will end up declaring, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. And this will be the ultimate vindication of the righteous. When Jesus comes again, the Bible says, and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then after that, this earth will be destroyed. Present heavens will be destroyed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will actually join together, Revelation talks about, the new city of Jerusalem on the new earth where we will be with the Lord forever. But this millennial reign that Isaiah sees, this fulfillment of the kingdom, is something that will also happen, and it will be a glorious day of rejoicing when Jesus is the sole ruler of the planet. Won't that be a glorious day? That'll be a wonderful, glorious day. It's hard for us to even imagine it now. No political fighting, no different kingdoms, no different kings, just, just one king Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning over the whole planet. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Okay, that's what we pray now. But one day his kingdom will be here, established on earth for a thousand years. What a glorious day that shall be when we will rule and reign with him. Now, before all of that, Isaiah writes about in chapter 26, go over to chapter 26, he writes the next thing about the punishment of the wicked. Last few verses of chapter 26, look at verses 20 and 21. He says this, go my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. Notice that it's a proof text about how the righteous are preserved from the day of God's wrath. And in verse 21, see the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon her. She will conceal her slain no longer. So it is both a picture of the righteous being preserved and spared from the wrath of God, which is consistent also with other pictures of the saints or the righteous being preserved from God's wrath. You have Lot and his family who are preserved from the wrath of God during the time of God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. You have Noah and his family being preserved as the righteous from the wrath of God during the day of the flood. And you will have the saints who are preserved from the wrath of God during the day of tribulation. So the punishment that comes upon the earth are for those who have rejected God, had forsaken Christ, not for those who have already yielded their hearts to the Lord. Okay, there will be a day of reckoning for every human being. But when you come to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you surrender your life to his lordship, the day you surrender your life to his lordship is your day of reckoning. That is the day that you then are judged righteous, not because of our own merit, but because of the righteousness of Christ that we trust by faith in his finished work on a cross. He dies. He pays the price for my sin, for your sin. He takes the punishment intended for me. That is my day of reckoning then. I exercise my faith. I trust Christ because there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So we don't face a judgment who have trusted Christ as our Savior because judgment has been satisfied for us on the cross. 
when we receive Christ as our Savior. So that's the good news here. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us of this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then Paul adds a verse after that. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Because you see, what Christ did for us on the cross was to pay that price for us so that our sins are not counted against us. We can be forgiven. We trust Christ as our Savior. He died on my behalf. And thus, we pass from death to life. But Isaiah sees a day where punishment comes upon the wicked who have rejected God and forsaken him. And then lastly, just in this quick survey, and then we'll get to the verses that we opened up with, chapter 27 is about the reestablishment of Israel, which is also something prophetic that Isaiah sees. In chapter 27, if you look at verse 2, he says, in that day, talking about a future day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. Now, Isaiah has already told us in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, that the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. So this passage here in chapter 27 is about Israel, and Isaiah says, in that day, sing about Israel, sing about a fruitful vine. He says in verse 3, I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. And so God watches over Israel, takes care of Israel, and then look at verse 6. In the days to come, Jacob will take root Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Now, the day in which Isaiah writes, the Assyrian Empire has besieged the northern kingdom. So it's a dark day. And 135 years afterwards, the Babylonian Empire is going to besiege the southern kingdom. So what Isaiah is seeing is way beyond his own day. He's seeing to a day that in part has been fulfilled. Because he speaks here about the reformation of the nation of Israel and how it will come together and God will cause her to become fruitful again and, and bud and blossom. And so in May, May 14th, 1948, in part, this was fulfilled, the reestablishment of Israel coming back together. And then this amazing prophecy here in verse 6 where he says, because Jacob will take root and Israel will bud and blossom, they will fill all the world with fruit. You know, amazingly that Israel, smaller than the state of New Jersey, but is the 15th largest on the list of of the most productive in terms of exports in value of all the countries on the planet. Israel is 15th in the export of fresh fruits and vegetables around the world. Among all the countries in the world, smaller than the state of New Jersey, has God not caused Israel to bloom and blossom and spread fruit around the world. It has. We see part of this fulfilled even in our own lifetime. And it wasn't always like this. Before the reestablishment of the nation of Israel, 1948, listen to what Mark Twain wrote when he visited Israel in 1867 about just how devastated the land looked. This is what he wrote in his book, The Innocence Abroad. Mark Twain wrote, quote, a desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. We never saw a human being on the whole route, hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country, end quote. Well, that's what Mark Twain saw in 1867. 
But since the reformation of Israel in 1948, my, how God has caused the land of Israel to be fruitful, to even bless much of the rest of the world. All right, so that's the overview of this section. Isaiah prophesies about things that are to come, the judgment and destruction of the earth, punishment of the wicked, reestablishment of Israel, the coming of the kingdom. Nestled right in the middle of all of this are these verses we started with from chapter 26. Look again at your Bibles. I'll put them up on the screen. Verses 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Now, the fact that these verses are nestled right in the middle of all this apocalyptic information speaks to me in two ways. Number one, what it says to me that is, is this, in the midst of tribulation, capital T, because there will be a time of tribulation that comes upon this earth. That's what we read about. In the midst of tribulation, capital T, God's people will have peace. And God's people will have peace in large part because when you read the whole counsel of Scripture, we won't be here for the tribulation. That God will take us from the earth and keep us safe, that we will not experience His wrath, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, among other verses that speak about how we will not experience His coming wrath. Okay, so we will experience his peace during the Great Tribulation, capital T, but it also says this to me. That the reason I think why Isaiah has this right where he does is because he wants everybody who will ever read this to know that God's people in the midst of tribulation, small t, will experience God's peace. You and I will experience over the course of our lifetime tribulation, small t, various trials, various difficulties, various heartaches, Things that we go through that we didn't imagine and weren't prepared for. And God wants us to know that even in tribulation small t, that's comparatively to tribulation coming upon the earth, not to diminish whatever you're going through. But God wants us to know that even through tribulation small t, His perfect peace will be with us. His perfect peace will be with us. So I'm going to unpack this passage with us. The first thing I want us to focus on, I highlight the words, you will keep. You will keep. Now the you in this passage obviously is God. God will keep. Because God is a keeping God. And the Hebrew word for keep is natsar. In the original Hebrew language, natsar. God is a keeping God, natsar. It means to protect. It means to guard. That God will guard us in all our ways and God will protect us in all our ways because he is a keeping God. Now, don't misunderstand me. When we talk about God being a keeping God, it does not necessarily mean that he will keep you from. Sometimes he will. But we also need to appreciate his keeping power through. Sometimes God keeps us from, sometimes God keeps us through. You know, the default for all of us is, God, spare me from going through anything difficult. Keep me from. God is a keeping God, and he will often keep us from. But if all he ever did was to keep us from, how would we ever see his mighty hand? Jump 
The Old Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who He is and what He expects from those who call Him Lord. He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to Him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation, the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus. There's much more to learn from Isaiah, so we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find the link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday. And child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know